Thank you for that. Appreciate that song. And uh, there is peace in Christ. Praise the Lord that we can have peace in Christ. If you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And before I get into the message, I do want to just make a mention of this. Brother Rick Rust, our missionary, uh, he was, of course, bad with cancer. He passed away this morning. And uh, continue to pray for his wife. We, uh, we knew that uh, he was not well. And, uh, but pray for them. I know that they'll certainly appreciate that. And pray for uh, a lot of our church members as well. I just know a lot of sickness going around, a lot of people not feeling well, not able to be here. And uh, keep one another in prayer and then keep the, uh, the Russ in, in prayer. I know that they'll certainly appreciate that. And uh, his family and his wife, of course. And so pray for them. Revelation chapter 1, we are still really in introductory material here in Revelation chapter number 1. And before he gets down to the messages of the churches, because he has those messages that we will look at, uh, there are so much really packed into these verses that literally I, I just, I cannot cover it all. There's just too much material. We would spend, we would spend weeks right here in Revelation chapter number one. And so understand that while we go through the book of Revelation, there, uh, we, are, we are not a college class and we are not going that deep. Uh, we want to cover this stuff, uh, but, uh, but as well, uh, there are just some things that are, are very interesting. They're worthy to look at, and I want to encourage you on your own, take your time, read through the Bible, read through the book of Revelation, spend time uh, looking down and, and chasing down some of those informations. You can, you can hang almost on every word. Uh, throughout the book of Revelation. It's just so much information in there. And, uh, and so we won't be able to cover it all, but we will cover some uh, quite a bit tonight. Revelation chapter number 1, and we'll pick up in verse number 4, where we left off last week. Actually, I want to go back and read verse 3, because I love verse 3. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And boy, what a blessing that we can receive from reading and studying the book of Revelation. So I hope and pray it is a blessing and a help to you. John, or Revelation 1.4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his thrones, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And let's stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word, Father, that we can look at, that we can study, that we can learn from. God, that we can be blessed by reading and understanding your, your word. What an amazing book that you've given us. Father, we're thankful for it. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray that you would speak through me, Father. And God, I pray that you'd encourage and bless each and every Christian uh, tonight, Father. And we'll thank you for that. God, we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
I, don't, I just wanted to read those verses. I, uh, I hope that we'll cover more than that, all right? My goal, I've got an outline further out than that, but uh, we'll start there. But I do want to go back and just re- briefly look at what we looked at last week. Uh, the first three verses, of course, uh, he gives a very introductory material of, of the on- anonymous is revealed. And we talked about Christ being revealed throughout the book of Revelation. That's really what we want to see is Christ revealed as God. Uh, We see the author, that God is the author, and we see the audience, that it is the saved and those who are serving the Lord is really who this book is written to, the book of Revelation. And, uh, and so we qualify for that. And then the aim or the scope of the book is to, uh, to show Christ as sovereign and as God. We're going to see that even greater tonight. And then to show things to come. Certainly it is a revelation of things that are, uh, have not happened yet. We're looking into the future of things that will come, uh, will come to pass. I almost said our way, uh, but we'll be out of here. Praise the Lord. We won't be here for that. And so they're not coming our way, uh, but they are going to come to pass. Uh, and then to see the end and that Christ is victorious. Praise the Lord for that. That alone is a blessing to us. That alone is a help to us. Just to know, uh, like the old song says, that we're on the winning side. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, So that's a blessing. But tonight I want to look at these verses and I hope to cover through the end of the chapter. And uh, and I want you to notice first and foremost in verse number four down through seven, uh, we have a message to the church. There's a message that is given and written to the church. Notice with me in verse four. The Bible says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now I want us to notice this, that these are literal churches. Sometimes people will take the book of Revelation and they'll say, well, it's all an allegory and it's all symbols and it's all uh, things that really cannot be understood. No, it is a literal book. Uh, There are a lot of symbolisms that take place, but it is a literal book. These are literal churches uh, that, that were written. This letter was written to those churches. And so we understand that. And that's very clear in the word of God. Um, And look with me here as we look at this. He says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. I want you to notice uh, that this is a united message from God. You notice there in verse number four, uh, which is and which was and which is to come. That is a reference to God Almighty. Now the come uh, is not that He is coming again, but means uh, the, the marking of time, the time that is going to come, that God will exist in the future, God exists in the present, and God exists, exists in the past. And then he goes on and he says, and the, uh, the seven spirits around His uh, throne, that is the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. And so we're getting down to, we've got two, we've got God, we've got the Holy Spirit. If you go down to the next verse, and he brings Christ into the picture, and he says in verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
And so he's, he's giving us a scope that, hey, this message is from God, it's from the Spirit, and it's from Jesus Christ, because those three are God. And, and he clarifies that throughout the book of Revelation. And so just understand, it is a united message from, from God, from the Spirit, and from Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice, what is this message? This really gets, uh, boy, this gets interesting. This, is, this I hope, will be a, as much of a blessing to you as it is to me. Look at what he says there in verse number 6. Uh, go back, actually, to verse number, verse number 4. Look at what he says. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, look at what he writes. Grace be unto you and peace from him. Now I got to looking at that and, and think about this. What is the book of Revelation talking about? Well, if you read the book of Revelation, you know once you get past chapter 3, boy, it is judgment after judgment. The vials are open, and the seals are open, and the books are open, and the judgment of God falls upon the earth. I mean, it is a time that is, frankly, scary for most people as they look at that and they say, my soul, uh, a third of the earth is going to be wiped out, and, and things are going to come to pass that we've never seen or experienced. It's going to be a judgment of God. God that's going to fall on the earth like never seen before. But here we have way back in verse 4, he's writing to the church, and I love this, and he says, grace and peace be unto you. It's a message to the church. I got to looking at that and thinking, you know, how often does grace show up in the book of Revelation? I want you to know that it only shows up right here in verse number 4, and it also shows up at the end of the book, Revelation, uh, the last verse, where he says, grace be unto you, to those who read, to read the book. It doesn't show up throughout the rest of the book. It's not during the tribulation period. It is not a period of grace. It's a period of judgment. But the, the, the beautiful thing is, hey, to the church, he's writing, grace be unto you. Hey, praise the Lord that we fall under grace. We don't fall under the tribulation. We don't fall under the judgment of God. We fall under the grace that is getting something that we don't deserve. Praise the Lord that He's given us that grace. It's a message of grace to the church. Look at the next word, and peace. Again, the book of Revelation is not a book of peace. I mean, you read it. If you've spent any time studying, you know judgment of God is not a peaceful topic. And the word peace only shows up right here in this verse. The only other time that it shows up in is Revelation chapter number 6 and verse number 4. And it says, uh, was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. That's the only other time peace shows up. And I want you to know, church, hey, that God, uh, united God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is giving a message to the church. Hey, praise the Lord that we as Christians, we have the grace of God in our life. Hey, and we can have the peace of God. Hey, hallelujah. I mean, you read about the tribulation period. You read about the judgment that's to come. And you say, man, I'm glad that I fall on the peace of God. I'm glad that I, I, I have the grace of God in my life. And that ought to be a blessing to us and a great uh, encouragement. Not just that, but look again with me there in verse number... Um, I wrote it down here in verse number 4. 
It is not in verse number four. Look with me. To, we'll, we'll start in verse number five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. Listen, love is also not used in the book of Revelation, except for here. It's used as an indictment against the churches when it says, Thou hast left thy first love. That's where it shows up there in, in Revelation chapter 2 and, and Revelation, I believe, chapter 3. And, and it's an indictment against the church. But, but the book of Revelation is not a time frame where God is going to show grace, peace, and love to the world, but rather judgment. Hey, but listen, as a believer, as somebody that uh, is part of the church, hey, we can say praise the Lord because He shows us grace he shows us peace he shows us love man what a blessing to know that he incorporated that in the beginning of the book of revelation so that we would know this is a message to the church saying hey you have grace you have peace and i love you is what he's saying in those verses man what a blessing to see that this message is there Look at the, the, the Christian that he talks about there. Uh, as we see, uh, he gives us a little bit about the church with grace, peace, and love. And then he gives us a little bit about the Christian. Look at what he says in verse number 6. Boy, what a change he makes. He says this, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Boy, what a great change. We sing that song in junior church and teens sometimes. I've got, uh, there's been a great, great change, change. Boy, what a, what a change. Will you think about the reality of that? There ought to be a change in our life. We, we sing it as, you know, the, uh, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. And the places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. And, and, uh, and you go on and on. The music I used to listen to, I don't listen to it anymore. And how God has changed our life. And all of those things ought to change. And there should be a change that takes place in our life. But let me tell you, friend, it's deeper than just those things that have changed. Listen, we are part of a royal heritage. Hey, we're kings. We're priests. That's what He calls us there in verse number 6, that He transforms us. And He makes us into kings, makes us into priests, and He changes us. Praise the Lord for the change that He's given in our life. Hey, that's a little bit about the Christian, a little bit about the church. And, and boy, what a, what a great thing that God has done for us. My grandpa, he used to collect rocks. And uh, you say, man, that's an unusual thing. It is. And I don't know too many people that collected rocks and did what my grandfather did with them. He would collect rocks, but he wouldn't just collect any rock. He'd go and he'd, he'd specifically look for rocks. And then my grandpa, uh, he was an engineer, and, and, uh, and so he had made this thing. Uh, it was a, a rock polishing thing. And so he would take this rock that he would find, and I, it's beyond me how he chose the rocks that he chose, because, you know, I'd walk over and I'd be like, Man, they're rocks. You know, they're not really important. There are quite a few of them out there. But he'd pick those rocks up. He would put that in that polisher. And that polisher would tumble those rocks and tumble those rocks. And, and it would make them. And when he pulled them out of there, I'm like, is that the same rock that went in there? He's like, yeah. 
And it would come out beautiful. I mean, it was polished. And, and it was, you could see like the, uh, rocks don't have grain. Wood has grain. But it had lines in it. It had different colors. And then he would polish that thing. And then he would, he would glue it to a tie tack. And he'd give people away tie tacks. And he'd give cufflinks and, and different things. He would take those rocks. And, and, they, and he, they became this beautiful piece of artwork that would be displayed on somebody's tie or somebody's cufflink or even sometimes a necklace and and he would do do wonderful things and here all the while we're just walking over all the rocks we're like you know you think about that and look at what it says there in verse number six at the last part it says and to him be glory let me go back it says in verse number six and he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Listen, not only did he make us kings and priests, but he made us to be his glory, to shine out. He would take us out of the common, ordinary stones, and that he would take our lives and he would tumble it and, and scrape it off and he would polish it, and then it would be gently placed and glued to a tie tack where it could be prominently displayed. And we have become, because of God's grace and God's goodness, the glory of God to the world. And he's saying, Hey, look at, look at this person. Boy, they, their life has changed. That's my handiwork. Hey, look at how, how they've done this and they've done that. Hey, that's to the glory of God. And He's showing us as Christians, hey, we ought to be the glory of God. And then not only the, uh, it's a message about the church, a message about Christians, but it's also a message about His coming. Look with me in verse number 7. The Bible says, Behold, He cometh, with clouds, and every eye shall see him. I was looking at this verse and looking at this verse, and, and, uh, and I was trying to decide, is this talking about the rapture that is going to take place, or is it talking about when he will come and actually touch down on the earth? And it's just my personal opinion. I think it kind of references both. And the reason I think that is because it talks about the clouds there in verse number 7. Go back with me, save your spot there in Revelation. Go back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, just before Hebrews is all the T's. Timothy, Thessalonians, Titus. Find 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And look with me at verse number 7. 17, I, I have a hard time not reading this whole passage. This passage is awesome. It talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about the rapture, rather, more, more correctly stated. Uh, but, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look with me in verse number 17. It says this. He's talking about those that are going to be raptured out of here. And then he goes, then we which are alive and remain, look at what it says, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I want you to notice that in 1 Thessalonians 4, that Jesus does not come to the earth and touch down. Uh, but it is a time when that trumpet sounds and the, those that are saved, and the Bible's very clear about this in all of that passage, that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds. And praise the Lord, we look forward to that. 
that is a good time, that we'll be pulled out of here. And, uh, and what a blessed thing. And I just think that reference uh, just comes too close to verse number 7 in Revelation. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And I think that whole second reference uh, may, may very well refer to the actual second coming of Christ when he actually touches down on the earth. And I think it's kind of a split uh, prophecy where the first part would refer to his rapture and then the second part would actually refer to his physical coming when every eye shall see him. Because you read down the rest of the verse, look at what it says. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. And so I think that's a reference, obviously, to uh, the rapture then kicking off the rest of the things that are about to take place in the tribulation. And, uh, and so there is a, a message about His coming and that the church, hey, praise the Lord, that is under grace, that is under peace, that has the love of God, and there's been a change in our life, will be pulled out of here. And we're looking forward to that day. So we have a message to the church, but I want you to see the message of Christ as well. Look with me at verse number 8. The Bible says this. He says, I am, the, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, we look at this. And, uh, and we say, man, are, are you sure that's talking about Christ? Listen, I'm 100% sure. We'll get down to the end of the, the chapter here, and, and it will say, uh, he'll say that, uh, that I, was, I was he that was dead. It's in verse number 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Hey, that's Jesus Christ. That's who that is. And so we see that it's, it's a reference to Christ and it doubles over as God because the book of Revelation is revealing Jesus Christ as God. And so we hear, have here in verse 8, uh, he says, I am the Alpha, or I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Just briefly, I want to go over the message of Christ is that he is Alpha and Omega. Now, maybe you've heard this before, uh, and if you have, then, uh, then, then good. If not, then maybe this will help you. But Alpha and Omega, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And uh, I used to know my, my Greek alphabet. I don't remember it. My dad taught me a song, and I used to sing it, but I'm not going to sing it for you tonight because I don't remember it all. Um, but it has in the middle, learning Greek is fun, just so you know how the little ditty goes, all right? But, uh, uh, but, but Alpha's that first letter, and, and Omega's that last letter. And what's he saying? Hey, that Jesus Christ is the first, and Jesus Christ is the last. Well, I started thinking about some verses that came to mind when we looked at that, and the fact that he is the first. And the Bible says in, you can just jot these down, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the Bible says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Hey, praise the Lord. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now maybe you're thinking, well, there were others that rose from the dead. Well, there were. 
Let's go back and look at some of them. We don't have time to look at them all. But remember, we're studying Elijah in the adult Sunday school class. And, and we just went over a portion where uh, the, the widow's son died. And, and Elijah uh, prayed to God and asked God to restore that widow's son. And he came back to life. He, he was raised from the dead. Yes, he was. How about when Jesus took and raised some of those other people from the dead? They had died, and they were raised to, for, to life again. Yes, they were Lazarus, a very prominent one that we think of. But can I tell you this tonight? All of those people, I almost feel bad for them. They had to go through death twice. They died again. They, didn't, they weren't raised to life to live forevermore. Yes, they did raise from the dead. Uh, yes, they were dead for a little while, uh, but they, they, they were raised back to life. But then, at, at some point, they came to the end of their life again for a second time, and they died. But Jesus Christ, when He rose from the dead, He'll never die again. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Hey, that gives hope for us. Uh, though we may face death before Jesus Christ comes, and listen, if we die before Jesus comes, that's okay, uh, because the Bible says uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we were looking at, hey, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hey, if you pass away before Jesus comes, that's okay, because you're going to raise again. Listen, It'll be a bodily resurrection, never to die again. And, and listen, those of us that are alive and remain, the Bible says, hey, we'll be caught up in the air to meet with Him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He is the first fruits of the resurrection because He rose to never die again. He is the first. What about the last? 1 Corinthians 15, 45 the Bible says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. It's a reference to Jesus Christ being the last Adam. Hey, praise the Lord. He's the last uh, he is the first, the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the last, he is the last Adam uh, that, that will ever need, that he lived a, a perfect and a sinless life. The first Adam didn't live a sinless life. Matter of fact, he fell into sin. And all of humanity fell with him. But Jesus Christ uh, was born of a virgin. Why? Because he didn't have that sin nature, praise the Lord. Hey, God did something special and, and placed him in, in Mary's womb uh, to be born of a virgin so that he wouldn't have that sin nature. Just as he had promised way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that, uh, that, that it would come from her seed. That's a reference to, to Mary. And, and Jesus is the last Adam. Praise the Lord for that. Then look at... The second phrase, not only the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, but in, in the middle it says, in the beginning, uh, the, the middle phrase, uh, the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. That's a reference to Him being eternal. Hey, that Jesus Christ existed in the past before He was born of a virgin. That was not His start. Mary did not uh, bring Jesus into the world and that was His beginning. No, he, he existed way before that. 
He existed in the Old Testament. He existed in creation. And so we could look at verses that show that, but I'm just saying it's talking about Jesus being alive very presently right now, being alive in the past and being alive in the future and never dying. And so we see that future and past tense and current tense that it says, hey, He is. Then lastly, it ends that verse number 8, the Almighty. Boy, we have a hard time understanding that because we're finite creatures. Hey, we're, 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 we all have weaknesses. We all have uh, difficulties. We all have problems in our life. But God, hey, He's Almighty. He's all-powerful. And that's what it's, it's, it's a reference to God, and it's specifically talking about Jesus Christ. We have a message to the church in verses 4 through 7. We have a message about Christ in verse number 8. And I want you to notice this, the message of the companion in verse number 9 down through the end of the passage. Look at what it says there in verse number 9. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patient Uh, and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John, John, I love how he starts this out. This is his message that he's going to give us. And he's very careful to say, hey, look, I'm not above you. Hey, I'm your brother. I'm your companion. Look at what he says there, your companion in tribulation. I want you to understand and and not be confused. He is not referring to the tribulation that is to come, but rather that he's saying, look, I'm I'm a person like you. I have problems and difficulties in my life just like you do. I am not above everything else. Hey, I am a person just like you are. And he's very quick to point that out. And he's very clear in saying that. And he's saying, uh, I love this, in verse number 9, I believe it's there. No, in verse number 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What a great example to us. Boy, you ought to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Hey, you ought to be worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. And he says that. What a, what a great uh, passage that he brings that out in verse number 10. And, and look at what he says in verse number uh, 11, saying, uh, well, let's go back to verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, watch what he says here, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And he's saying, hey, I want you to write these things down that you see and that you hear. God gives them a very clear uh, thing here. I want you to notice as well the seven churches. And listen, seven uh, means complete, not perfection. You can't ignore numbers in the Bible. There's some very significant numbers in the Bible. And throughout Revelation, seven is one of those numbers that's very important. And it comes up over and over. But at the same time, uh, don't get carried away on numbers, okay? Uh, some people go overboard and, and, and it almost becomes a, a, a too much. 
They're like, if you look here, it's the third verse, and if you take that away from the first chapter, then you end up with this number and that number, and they run all these mathematical theories, and I feel like I've been through a physics class before I'm all done. But there is very clear and plain numbers in Scripture, and seven is one of those, and it does mean complete. But in verses 9 down through 11, this is what John heard as Jesus spoke to him and gave him this message. And it will be very abundantly clear when we get down to the point where what John saw. But in verses 9 through 11, this is what John heard. Because Jesus had given it to him. Uh, well, rather verse 11, really. Uh, that, that Jesus said, hey, there, I want you to write these things in a book. And I want you to send them to the seven churches. Look at what he saw in verse number 12. We don't have time to cover all of these things. I'll point out some of the things that are here. But look at what it says in verse number 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they had burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Boy, what an incredible sight that John saw. He's there, and, and he's in the Isle of Patmos, and it's on the Lord's Day, and he's in the Spirit, and, and God begins to physically speak to him and, and call out to him, and he says, John, I want you to write these things in a book, and I want you to send them to the seven churches. And John's so amazed by this voice, he's so drawn by what he hears, that he has to turn around and look. And when he turns around and he sees, he sees uh, what he gives the description thereof of Jesus Christ. What an amazing description. Boy, you could go through every part. You could find something. I'll just pull a few of them that are, are so important there that what he saw, I want you to notice that he saw the seven candlesticks. It's later described in this very text that those are the churches, the seven churches. But what I want you to see is that there was, a, a, look with me in verse number 13, well, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake unto me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. He later tells us those are the churches. Look with me at verse 13. I love this. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. I couldn't help but think of the verse in Matthew chapter number 18 and verse 20. For where there are two or three gathered there together in my name, there I am in the midst. Praise the Lord. Hey, when we gather together, boy, we can, we can, we can have the very presence of Jesus Christ in our midst. And it doesn't matter if you have a church of 5,000, if you have a church of five. Because he said, hey, we're two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. Praise the Lord. We see the candlesticks. And there in the midst is Jesus Christ. One that looked 
And he gives that description. But there's Jesus in the midst. Not only that, but notice there, uh, one of the obvious ones that sticks out there in verse number 16, right in the middle. And out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. Boy, the Word of God is described like that. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, if I'm not mistaken, uh, says that, uh, uh, well, go over there and, and we'll read it really quick. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Boy, that's the word of God. And boy, you go back to John chapter 1, and Jesus and the word, uh, was with them. And the Word dwelt among them, and the Word became flesh. Hey, it's talking about Jesus Christ. And it parallels to all of that, 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 that sharp two-edged sword coming out of His mouth as Jesus is speaking. Not only that, but I want you to notice uh, in verse number 16, that last phrase, and His countenance was as the sun shineth in His strength. Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 2, it talks about the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness as a reference to Jesus Christ. John refers to Him as the sun shineth in His strength. So bright is the goodness, holiness, and righteousness of God. He's describing Jesus Christ as God because He's being revealed and that veil is being taken away and Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. Notice His reaction there in verse number 17. And when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. He just couldn't, he couldn't even bear. This, the, all of it was just too much for him. And he just fell down and thought, man. You remember Isaiah? He got a glimpse of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And man, just when they're put in the presence of God, can't stand. They fall down on their faces before God. And they recognize His holiness, His righteousness, the glory of God that is just revealed. And John falls down to the ground as dead. But look at what he says. I love this in verse 17. And when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. But look at what he happens. And He laid His right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Praise the Lord. That's talking about Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. Amen. And, I, and, and have the keys of hell and death. And he says in verse 19, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. I told you he revealed that symbol of what it was. And there it is in verse number 20. And we look, we have, I love this, that Jesus takes and He lays His hand on him and He says, 
fear not. And he gives him an assurance of peace. And he gives him assurance that, hey, it is Jesus Christ, I that was dead. Hey, only Jesus Christ can say that. He says, but I'm alive forevermore. He's not dead any longer. The assurance of the command, hey, you need to write all this down and put it in a book and send it to those seven churches. Then he gives the assurance of the symbols. Listen, there's a lot of symbols used in the book of Revelation. Those candlesticks represent the churches. And there's symbols, and, and you know, there'll probably be symbols I'll overlook and miss. There are so many symbols that are there. But it's a literal book as well. It's literal that is filled with all kinds of symbols. And so, boy, it gives us a message to the church. It gives us a message of Christ. And there's a message there for the companion, John, that says, hey, fear not. Hey, you don't have to be afraid of the book of Revelation. Boy, what a blessing to look at it as a Christian, knowing, hey, we fall under grace, we fall under peace, we fall under love. Hey, praise the Lord for God's goodness, that we can be His glory and His display to the world that's lost. Hey, that's the message we got to get to the lost and dying world. Because they'll face the tribulation unless they accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. There's some dark days that are ahead, but praise the Lord, we're not here. We're out of here. We're gone. And we don't have to fear them. We fall under grace. We fall under peace. And we fall under love. The message to the church. Praise the Lord for that. What a great God that we serve, that would do all of that for us and would make a way that we don't, we don't go through that. We don't have to suffer that. What a blessing. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I hope and pray that you get a glimpse of God. I hope and pray you get a glimpse of the great grace, love, and peace of God that we have. Praise the Lord for that. In our day and age, Father, we thank you God, we thank you for your word. What a, what a refreshing breath of fresh air to look at all of this and know, oh God, how great your love is for us. That you'd share your grace and peace and love. That you'd shed your precious blood to cleanse us from our sins, to change us. Oh God, you're truly so good to us. God, I thank you for the blessing that you take the time to share that in the very beginning of Revelation, to know that the church, those who are saved, are loved. They have the peace and they have the grace of God. God, I pray that you'd bless and encourage and strengthen each believer that's here. Thank you for the glimpse that we get of you in all of your holiness and righteousness. God, I pray that you'd bless and encourage and strengthen each believer. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, maybe you just want to thank the Lord for that great message of grace, that great message of peace, that great message of love that he shed for you. I don't know about you, boy, I read that. I was just encouraged to know that to the churches, saved boy he gives us grace he gives us peace he loves us what a refreshing message John saw that vision 
Boy, to see God in His holiness. What an incredible sight. Too much really for John to bear. I think it'd be too much for any of us to bear, to be honest with you. To have a full-on view of God like John did. What an incredible thing. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're listening online and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, now's the opportunity of grace. Now's the opportunity of peace. Now's the opportunity of love. You put it off and, boy, if He comes, things could change and grace could be over and peace could be over and love could be over. Tribulation is what you're looking at. I'm thankful for that message of grace. I'm thankful for that message of peace. I'm thankful for that message of love that he drops so ever clearly to the church, to the saved, to those who are born again. Praise the Lord for that. You can be in that group if you trust him as your personal savior.